I'd like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land we are meeting today, the Yagara and Turrbal people, and pay respect to their elders past, present and emerging. Hello and welcome once again to the Music in Everything podcast. It's great to have you with us here for an episode on Australiana. And that is all the things that makes Australia so weird and wacky and wonderful. Now, to start the episode, you heard Samantha reading something out and I'm going to let her explain exactly what that is if you've never heard it before. So what I did at the start of the episode is known as an acknowledgement of country. So an acknowledgement of country is a really important aspect of Australia's reconciliation uh, process with the Indigenous peoples of Australia. So that's the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. And so um, Indigenous Australians can offer a welcome to country where they welcome you onto their lands. And by me acknowledging the, um, the country, I'm acknowledging the fact that the Yagara and Turrbal people in this instance were the traditional and initial owners of this land and that we are meeting here um, on their land. And it's a, it's a part of recognising and reinserting Indigenous voices and Indigenous history into Australian history. So it's a really important aspect of Australian, the kind of modern history and us moving forward as a nation. Right, because I mean, part of the reason that we want to cover this episode is because we love to celebrate what makes Australians Australian and Australia Australia. But Unfortunately, the the whole premise of Australia as the nation that we know it is founded on the fact that it was built on an invasion and colonization by an outward force and uh, and a very dark time which had a lot of death and a lot of suffering and that and the symptoms of that still pervade society today. So the fact that we're in and others, we and others are taking these steps, uh, they may seem small, but they are vitally important for this reconciliation effort. So we're going to have fun with this episode, but we needed to start with that today. Yeah. Speaking of having fun, we're going to kick this off. Listen to this sound, guys. Uh, oh, Ow. That's the sound. <laughs> that's the sound of Samantha half opening a beer. Use your clothes. Use the, clothes. Use the dress. There you go, mate. You got it? So right now we cheers. are... Cheers. We're going to drink a couple of beers through this episode. It only feels right, doesn't it? And this particular beer is, um, is not good. It's not oh, bad. That is nostalgically awful though, right, isn't I haven't, it? I haven't sipped it yet. This may have been the first alcoholic beverage I ever had in my life. Oh, come on. It's not that bad. I <laughs> don't hate this at all. We're drinking uh, a Queensland create, in fact, a Brisbane uh, manufactured beer called 4X Gold, not sponsored in any way, <laughs> nor quite frankly, would we like to be. Uh, <laughs> but that's how we choose to start this episode uh, because we're going to talk about some really fun stuff. Who is chief investigator? Who's in the hat? I have my eyes closed. I am Chief Investigator oh, James. Means in, oh, which Jesus Christ, I don't like that at all. Which is Sorry, an Jim. odd choice considering I'm the Australian historian, but we're going to let Sam take take well, the he's realm. he's the guy. So people are more tuned to hearing <laughs> okay, no, the male voice just... in the room. <laughs> all right, all right. I have one sip of Forex <laughs> and immediately yeah. I'm a piece of shit. <laughs> There's so much stuff that I want to talk about today and so much stuff to do with language and and culture. 
And the fact that like I've realized recently, and especially in the researching of this episode, the hum- uh, that um, the way that Australians speak is completely incomprehensible to the rest of the world. And in many ways, the culture is often misunderstood. And also, I think this episode is a product of what many people have identified as a long line of uh, Australian tendency to want to um, explain itself to the world. It's like it's like a thing. No, that's no, 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 yeah, no, 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 you're missing it. You're missing <laughs> what, let me, let me. <laughs> yeah, no, no, yeah. Yeah, no, 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 no. Yeah, yeah. It's it's based on context. Yeah, Just it's com- perfectly simple. Complete side note: there are quizzes in the lids <gasps> oh, of these forex cards. We're doing a lid quiz. Hang in on, what year was Vegemite invented, guys? This is so good. We didn't have to do any research. We could have <laughs> literally just cracked the lids off beers. Uh, when was Vegemite invented slash stolen from Marmite and rebranded for some reason? 1923. 1923. That Jeez. was before the Deaf Olympics even started. Yes. Right. Uh, what was the name of John Williamson's first album? John Williamson? Yeah. Who the fuck is that? That's a good question. <laughs> what was the name of it? <laughs> Uh, it was John Williamson. It was self-titled. Oh. A renowned <laughs> well, egotist, John These are John great Williamson. questions. Anyway, back to Australiana. How heavy is the blue whale? <laughs> That's not the question. <laughs> yeah. So Australiana is, is a funny topic because depending on what context you're talking about, if you said the phrase Australiana, um, you would probably think either of... Um, I'm picturing like a plastic tablecloth with, with, uh, with kangaroos on it. Okay. And Forex gold bottles. Okay. Or, is this a memory you have? Or is this like <laughs> just, something I saw once as a child? <laughs> it is a dream, my seat. Um, so You're looking for a, car, a <laughs> shitty cartoon plastic. Is That's not what this table is. I would never let that no, happen. It's beautiful, beautiful blue cotton. Mm. Or you think about this sort of mythic... Bush legend. The you picture Gumtree in the fair go. <laughs> Ned Kelly in the bloody Shooting it out against police just trying to fucking do their job. <laughs> Whole bunch of criminals are the protagonists. The really Australian- not very nice people doing bad things to people who are just doing their fucking job. <laughs> I Ned do Kelly. feel the Australian accents are going to get thick and broad in this episode. I don't bloody tell you I'm already Real there. It. it was the 4X, mate. <laughs> um, yes, you're right. That, I mean, you see how easily that came to us, the, the that vision. Was very, very quick. <laughs> that's, yep. that's inscribed in our it's in cultural identity. It's in the blood. Um, we'll raise on so it. So I want to talk about the Australian bush myth a bit. And there's probably no better way to talk about that than to talk about Banjo Patterson. Banjo Legend. Patterson, yes. Banjo Patterson, which was not his name. What? I actually didn't re- write down his first name, but his, his like pen name was Banjo. And often mm-hmm. some of the... Sh- the stuff he published was like by the banjo or something. So it's Banjo Patterson is how he's known now. And this is in the sort of turn of the 20th century, so late 19th century. It was this guy, he was a writer um, and a poet, um, and especially him and Henry Lawson, who was another guy in that sort of category. And these guys in their writing really in many ways built and evoked, or at least made iconic, the Australian bush myth. Mm. Um. And what's really important to say about these guys, and I think this is a really important point about all of Australian culture, these were not from the for the bush. They they worked in Sydney. They were Sydney urbanites. They were they were like riding for the, they the were bulletin. Latte sipping lefties. <laughs> these wow. In a city wow. latte well, sipping not, lefty not cucks. Lefties, yeah. I feel. Rabid pinko. Sorry, go And on. they were also white. They were white and yeah. they were men. So now we've got those, that sorted out. Yeah, so oh, that right. is Australia. That's the Australian myth. White, 
urban men. Yeah. But yeah. The, the idea that these guys were then painting the the kind of uh, almost spiritual, mm. noble mate, I'm wearing my Kubra out in the <laughs> sunshine under the trees. Taking and my billy can out to make some tea. And I've got some grease on my face, not sure where, and uh, what I'm doing here is kind of nondescript. Uh, <laughs> um, I'm out here and I'm talking with this accent. It appears that maybe I've been doing some digging. Who knows what I'm doing out here? <laughs> now, both these guys, they did grow up in the bush to an extent. So they, they have this like nostalgic memory and stuff, and I think they're projecting it. But they were also nationalist writers. So they were writing, nationalist writers in the turn of the 20th century, that doesn't mean quite what it means now. Mm-hmm. Um, it, meant, it meant they were for federation. Australia wasn't a country in the 1890s. It was a number of British colonies. When was federation? 1901, it was the most boring point of Australian history. <laughs> Thanks very much, Samantha. Thank you. Um, so these guys were writing in Australian English to sort of evoke that. So we've got Banjo. Banjo wrote The Man from Snowy River. Classic. Which is a ballad poem about some blokes who are chasing some horses and they get lost. But then some young bloke rides down a steep, slope and he sort of sorts it out, I guess. He catches the horse. So it's ostensibly like a, uh, um, a skateboarding film. <laughs> yes, go on. <laughs> it sounds better in, in context. Mate. Lawson, you've got like the drover's wife, who's just this woman who's left alone with the kids and then eventually I kills hardly know his wife. <laughs> <laughs> They're making a film about that. Yeah, I know. Um, but the most, the most famous one is easily Waltzing Matilda. Classic. Yeah, okay. Waltzing Matilda is Banjo Patterson. It's written in the 1890s and it's a song um, and it's like the iconic song of the Australian colonial myth to the mm. extent that it was nearly the national anthem. And the reason it's not the national anthem is because it's essentially a song about a sheep thief who kills himself um, <laughs> instead of being taken by the police. Yeah, and that doesn't really set the tone for a nation. <laughs> I mean, how sick would that be, though? Like the flag rising in the Olympics and it's just like, you'll never take me alive today. <laughs> so, Drowned himself in the billabong. Yeah, um, I laugh so much. Jim, (laughs) (laughs) my God, that's heavy. (laughs) Um, For those who have been massively confused by the last few sentences, um, I'm going to read the wiki paragraph that explains the plot because it's just so perfectly hilarious because it has to explain every single bit of Australian colloquialism that most of us only know from Malting Matilda, to be honest. So the song narrates the story of an itinerant worker or swagman making a drink of Billy tea, which is tea burned in a metal tin, at a bush camp, which is a camp in the countryside, and capturing a stray jumbuck, which is a sheep, to eat when the jumbuck's owner, a squatter, also known as a grazier, and three troopers, which are mounted policemen, (laughs) pursue the swagman for theft. He declares, you'll never catch me alive and commits suicide by drowning himself in a nearby billabong, which is a watering hole, after which his ghost haunts the site. I, I, <laughs> I the number of like. haunting the site. <laughs> yeah, no, oh no, listen, listen to the last line, okay? And his ghost may be heard as you pass, pass by, by that billabong. billabong. You'll it's come a waltzing Matilda with me. It is a fucking horror movie. <laughs> But also, like, the, the number of sub-clauses within that description describing the terms as they appear <laughs> only highlights the need for Australia to explain itself uh, to the world. Well, and I love that idea of Australia trying to explain itself because someone whose name I forgot to write down, like an absolute twat, um, describes the idea of cultural... So cultural cringe as a, as a concept is obviously very broad, it's the idea of being alienated from one's culture, but in mm-hmm. Australia it behaves entirely differently. And this writer 
argued that cultural cringe did not exist, but was needed and was invented in Australia because of our culture's obsessive curiosity in wanting to know what foreigners think of Australia and its culture. <laughs> We're not doing that right now. I don't know what you're talking about. What could you possibly be referring to? <laughs> don't know. Bloody, I don't know. Mate, I just wanted to know more about myself. Yeah, it's but a the thing is, like, okay, so it waltzing Matilda, like a lot of this stuff, it is it is about self identity at the time. This is a nationalist writer. He's playing up the words. He's playing up the slang. Now he's playing I up- know we all want to kill ourselves whenever <laughs> we see a billabong. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So am I right, ladies? <laughs> <laughs> That's what he reaches out. The to darker that. story behind this is that it was probably based off a true thing that was running around in stories at the time. He was doing a tour of like the countryside in Queensland. Actually, mm. um, there was a shearer strike around. Sinking this time. some forex and there was a strike of shears, um, and things got really, really ugly. And troopers that's mounted policemen, came in and, <laughs> and broke up um, the riots and like places were burnt down and got really ugly. Policemen ch- did chase one individual um, named Samuel Frenchy Hoffmeister. Oh my God, that is, that's the name he gave. Uh, Samuel uh, Frenchy <laughs> Hoffmeister. Officer. Uh, he was actually from like Jakarta. Okay. Which this changes the story a little bit, doesn't it? It certainly does. Um, and he shot himself to avoid capture is the story, but of course, people, historians who look back on this suggest it was more like an execution. Oh, he he shot himself, did he? Yeah. Yeah, so mm. when you keep in mind that and like what Banjo Patterson's trying to do, it's like, Walsing Matilda suddenly takes on this whole new things about class. And race. And race, but also the class that class identity, he's positioning as the Australian one. And that, for anyone who doesn't know Australia, was a really important thing the, to the, talk about. Is it like the trigger point for the underdog battler kind of element that we yeah. represent ourselves as? The working as? class versus the inner city latte sipping. <laughs> you will find, though, that like any... any <laughs> we're going to come back to that. <laughs> it's just pe- like pejorative terms to describe uh, the three of us. Um, <laughs> these inner city... Um, but you will find that, you know, any Australian watching sport that we're not familiar with, Right, whether it be like all of a sudden we find ourselves with an interest in American football, for example, and going like, what what the fuck is going on? We will, on the whole, support the shittest team <laughs> or, or support the team that like shouldn't be there but is kind of thing. The, the, the underdog, the battler that is like, it, it resonates with us and you might even be able to fucking trace it back to literally that song. <laughs> Yeah, I'd actually, in like, oh, yeah, and Ned Kelly, the underdog, the uh, mass murdering criminal, and yeah. the odds were against him, and he was caught. <laughs> yeah, the odds were against him with all of those police, and, and a lot of yeah. them died and never came home to their families that night. Like, what a son of a bitch. Yeah, yeah but the larrikin thing. Yeah, actually, that's mm. a really uh, integral part of the Australian identity. That so, what, what, when you say larrikin, you might need to explain that. Larrikin, comma, sentence, comma. Yep. Yeah, please explain the larrikin, Jim. You can't put me on the spot like that. I'm going to, I can explain the etymology that is false. All right, so larrikin uh, is basically... Deal. <laughs> deal, just straight away. Just, yeah. <laughs> okay, so the, the larrikin is kind of the the uh, playful miscreant that, you know, uh, Australians are kind of seem to be known for around the world. Like one of the things that people know Australians for, and you see bad depictions of it in American films a lot of the time, <laughs> is that we're always ready for a laugh. We're always ready to take the piss and, and have a lighthearted time. And what does take the piss mean? Take the piss. <laughs> <laughs> come on, come on. That's, I think that's a UK thing. That's not distinctly Australian. Yeah. Um, so what is the incorrect etymology for okay, the word larrikin? So I really love the incorrect etymology for larrikin. A little bit of an etymology break, yep. but incorrect. Because I thought, like, like is it an, of an Irish root? 
like, is it an Irish word? Because from an Irish phenomenon, if you think about like Irish American. sense of humor, yeah, okay, right. there's lots of commonality. It does sound like that. Um, but so the old story is that it was like a guy who was um, a court in, the, in, in court. Yeah, yeah, I know, because it's one particular thing, but well, hear me I'm out, hear me out, hear me out, that it's a heavy Irish pronunciation of the word larking, which means getting up to mischief. Larkin. 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 Fuck off. It's, it's good though, but right? I, mean, it, like, it, I, I do like it. I do enjoy it because that's pretty much what it is. Like the larrikin thing, the idea is like um, the manner in which Australian dads tease their kids. Mm. You know, it's like mm. a, it's lighthearted. It's 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 like it's a it's mischievous saying, gleam. You know, it's me offering my daughter a coffee every morning, despite the fact <laughs> that I know she will yell at me and tell me that she's a child. <laughs> in those words, father, I am a child. But father, I am a child. But it's also it's also pretty um, anti-authority yes. as well. Which also ties into the, and I'm sure you guys have notes on this, the kind of element of tall poppy syndrome in Australia yeah. where it's like, we don't like anyone getting a little too bloody big for their britches. You know, we we want to make sure that, you know, if you get a bit full of yourself, you you get an earful from us. And that's why there's a certain element of like uh, like American sports culture and, and American artists, music artists and stuff like that, that, you know, the ego is a huge part of that culture and their belief in them. I mean, like I think Kanye is probably a really good example of that. The dude believes he is some kind of genius. You know, that is also unmedicated bipolar. Yeah, I yes. mean, he <laughs> really needs help, and we hope he gets it. But like the, yeah. um, that whole thing doesn't resonate with us. And if an Australian artist did get that way, you'd cop a little bit of like, kind of, yeah, well, I think that bloke bloody thinks pretty fucking highly of himself, doesn't he? Like Aussie audiences, and I can tell you this mm. from, from experience, touring around Australia compared to touring around other places in the world. Aussie fans and audience want to talk across to you. They don't want to look up and they don't want you to look down. They want to go, hey, mate, how are you going? They want to have like eye-to-eye contact, like we're talking as two blokes mm. having a discussion, not like, oh, my God, I'm shaking because I'm meeting you and please take a photograph and whatever else. It's a very different culture here. And I think that that ties in a lot to that whole kind of like the battler image. and you yeah. know, our- The anti-authoritarianism I think really plays out Particularly, I mean, we're currently in an election campaign for our federal government, which we're not going to talk about, but we are going to talk about. We're going to talk about the fact that we can call our prime minister dickhead to his face. Yes, it's frequently done. In fact, love it. It's encouraged. It's just a man, but in this case, in particular, he is a dickhead. He's a dickhead. (laughs) And the man that I'm referring to, uh, which is a previous prime minister, also was a dickhead. But we also had another prime minister who had an egg thrown at him. Mm. And so, like, there's an element there of like, just because you are doing. X doesn't mean you're better than me. Yeah. And I think that's a interesting because I think it does stem from this sort of like anti-authoritarian sort of larrikin mischievous sort of energy of going, I'm going to be me mm. and I'm going to be who I want to be and but you I wanna, can't tell I me what to do. But I want to specify that the tone of this doesn't come in the same way as say like, Again, I'm going to bring up America a lot, I think, because it's a it's an, it's an obvious comparison. It's a chalk make. and cheese comparison. Yeah, because yeah. we're both kind of like, you know, it could be described as, in scare quotes, Western cultures, despite the fact that we, of course, live in Southeast Asia. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> but, you know, the comparison to say that kind of anti-authoritarian attitude in America sounds a lot more petulant and a yeah. lot more stubborn. Whereas in Australia, it is in the form of the larrikinism, which means that like push comes to shove, we roll with a punch. Yeah. On the whole. Yeah. And like a, we have our own dickheads, but like in, instead of digging our heels in, we're just like, yeah, righto. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that that's, there's a resilience as well that comes with being an Australian. And totally. I think that comes with just, it, it stems primarily, I would argue, being a 20th century Australian historian uh, from a geographic base, from an environmental base, mm-hmm. that Australia, 
like we always make a joke of like too fucking hot, don't it's give a too shit. Hot to give but a it's shit. like you sort of have to be able to adapt to a country that goes through periods of long drought, floods, bushfires, cyclones, mm-hmm. and I'm just talking about Queensland here. Drought, fires, floods, cyclones. Isn't that just like the past like six months? In like 18 the past, months. Yeah, I don't know. Like just like name a date, something was happening, and so mm. you have to sort of be able to. So and so there's a community aspect there with that, mm. I suppose, as well. The fact that it's like Australia being. And like the foundation of Australia being a large landmass with very few people who were very protective of the fact that they were they were th- as a threat because of how um, underpopulated it was, that you have to band together as a community, and then you also have like the actual landscape throwing shit at you, like natural disasters, mm. poisonous snakes, spiders, all the things in the waters that want to kill you. Like it's a hard life, and then the sun is just absolutely out. And to get there you. is a strange juxtap- juxtaposition here that like the mild hypocrisy of that in that like push comes to shove, we are united and we have that mateship. I mean, like we can probably talk about the term mateship at some stage, Mm. but like the mateship of Australian culture. And then at the same time, if you're out on the town on a Saturday night and somebody looks at you and calls you big wheels, you know, you're in trouble. Like, Mm. um, (laughs) what the fuck am I even trying to say? What is big wheels? The hypocrisy of egalitarian. Yeah. Yeah. But then in 2011, when there was the first sort of big floods of our generation Mm. in Southeast Queensland, that was the first taste that I really had of a genuine and like broad unity where they called it the mud army. Everyone came out and helped people unload stuff out of their houses that had been half submerged and mud was everywhere. Mm. Worms were in the water and like it was just it it was was sewage and gross. And, and we saw so much destruction and so much loss from people. But the people of Brisbane and Southeast Queensland genuinely across all barriers and walks of life worked together to undo some of the damage or at least to mitigate some of the damage on people's yeah, lives. Yeah, just to help. I mean, and, and that's Aussie as fuck. Yeah, and I think that that's a, uh, and I would argue that it's incredibly Queensland as well because <laughs> like I mentioned, because we're, we're a bunch of, of parochial people. You've opened up a little. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you opened no, up the and interstate. I'm not saying it's exclusively Queensland, but I do think that we, we as a, as a, cause like with the state, so like, I don't know if, go look at a map of Australia. Like obviously Western Australia is massive. It's mostly desert. Queensland is so large mm. compared to like New South Wales and Victoria. And so when I'm talking about cyclones, I'm talking up north. And when I'm talking about floods, I'm talking down south. When mm. I'm talking about droughts, I'm talking about in the centre mm. and then bushfires the everywhere. Where the food is grown doesn't make any sense. <laughs> so it's like every corner of the state has yeah. some form of natural disaster that could hit it. And that requires yeah. a resilience and a, and a camaraderie and a mateship and, a, and an idea of being egalitarian. Everyone's the same when it comes to bad things happening. To a flood. To a flood. Mm. And I think, and yes, there are, there are, I definitely obviously have state partisanship because I'm born and raised Queensland. <laughs> we should talk about this interstate thing for a second. Yes, yeah, okay. I've got some <laughs> things on that. Because to literally anyone outside of Australia, it's chaos and it means nothing. And it's also like, it's, it's dumb. Kind of, yeah, it's kind <laughs> so, of stupid, but it's also not. The first thing I want to say is that, so to US listeners, like the states of your country have gone to war before. Ours have um, not. Ours just like, like barracking for different teams. Yeah, and Sorry, we're like, barrack is a term to support one's <laughs> team with vigor. <laughs> and so like, and like we we definitely, are, we argue about dumb shit. Like, okay, so obviously you've got the state of origin, which is a classic rugby match. It's called the state of origin. And you know which states are involved? Two of the seven. Actually, Six. it's five states, five states, two territories. How are we, how are we? How are oh we, yeah, shit, yeah. I don't know. We needed a map. Um, He's going to do the numbers. Are you so, counting on your hands right now? So the state of origin is Queensland versus yeah, New Six. South Wales. <laughs> yeah. 
are in a rugby union? Rugby, rugby league. league. Rugby league. league. Come on, You're drinking that... a Forex here. You should yeah, know. Yeah, I know. Mate. So, <laughs> and so... What's great about that being a Queenslander, about watching the Senate version being a Queenslander is that we win all the time because we're fantastic. Mate, not recently. Not recently. I mean, it's been a bit of a shit show. Yeah, back in my day. That was a swing and a miss. I have no fucking idea. I think we actually have lost the last two years. So that was a really good... um, And so obviously there's a state rivalry, but the thing, the way that the state rivalries have sort of like presented themselves is like calling something a potato scallop versus a potato cake, you know? Exactly. Long necks versus tallies. Okay, this needs a lot of unpacking. Okay, so a potato scallop and a potato cake are the same thing. They are they are battered pieces of potato that are deep fried. But what's important is- Like in a slice, is, not like a chip. Like in a slice, yeah. like a big slice. Um, what's important is that they're potato scallops, not potato cakes. Have we had this conversation before? Have I we? feel like we've had this conversation around this table before. Possibly. Uh, without microphones. No, and so, so uh, us up north, being Queensland and the Northern Territory, mm-hmm. call it potato scallops. The Southerners. The traitors. The traitors. And there is a very east-west-north-south division with this country. Like Western Australia being all of the west of Australia has a very like anti-East Coast sentiment, which is totally valid. You mean the eastern states, capital E, capital S? Yes. Yes. The eastern states being Queensland, New South Wales, Victoria, and Canberra, Australian Capital Territory. (laughs) Fuck, I'm fucking, I'm the Australian historian. Tasmania is never included in any of this because it's the forgotten child of Australia. It's a um, shame because it's really nice. There. It's so <laughs> lovely. Um, and then, so you've got that. Long legs versus tallies. So what we're talking about is, so what we're currently drinking is, would we stubby? Stubby, mate. Stubby So that's about beer. 375 mil bottle. A tallie is what, 750? That's way too big. 600 and... We're getting close. <laughs> <laughs> Do I hear 550? 550 from the It's a lot of beer. It's yeah. bigger volume of beer. We call them up north. Tallies because they're tall. (laughs) Obviously, and it makes fucking sense. The Southerners call them long necks. Which also makes sense because it's like we all watched The Land Before Time. They also, Um, they do have long necks. (laughs) But um, Okay, so without getting into the specifics of that, I think what's, what's interesting to note about it is that it's like, those are the ways in which the differences between the states present themselves. And accents. In the like, well, accents, but so slightly. Like I've traveled around Australia a lot. And like initially my thought was that everywhere in Australia is just basically going to be the same. And of course it's not. Culturally it's different, you know, different um, uh, groups of people, different um, types of work, you know, exactly. Different different um, areas in the country are very different, but not in the same way as say going from country to country in Europe across much smaller distances. Like if you go from Brisbane to Sydney, you're driving for 12 to 14 hours to get there. And the difference is that like the accent is slightly different and everyone's in more of a rush. Like that's that's essentially it. You know, I mean, the buildings might be slightly different, but it's not like if you traveled that same distance across Europe, you would be in a different fucking universe. Yeah, different language, different culture, different everything. And keep in mind that Queensland's like basically the size of Western Europe. (laughs) So yeah, if you put a map of Australia uh, across a map of Europe, and I recommend that you do because then you're just looking at a map of Australia. Um, <laughs> no, you make it transparent, Jim. <laughs> How do you make it transparent? You're going to have to show me on the iPad later. You know? Yeah, but then that's 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 really true because like we're looking at this potato scallop thing and like togs, bathers and swimmers and all that. Luncheon versus Poloni. Don't yeah, even Cheerios get me started versus about that. Whatever the fuck this other is called. Cheerios. Franks. Cocktail Franks versus Cheerios. Cheerios. There you go. Little, little, little party sausages. Little tiny sausages. Um, and that's pretty much, you know, it. <laughs> Like there's some no, political, you know, they're, they're, I mean, yeah. virtually nothing. Okay, so here's the thing. Linguists have looked for differences in Australian accent across the continent. Mm-hmm. 
And even though this country is massive and you're looking at it going like, you would expect to be speaking a different language. If the US is anything to go by, or little mm. in the UK. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's not really that much difference. The biggest difference is you can find out in um, the vowel, like like around A, like dance, dance, chance. dance. Yeah, because they chance. speak the Queen's English in South Australia, don't they? They do. So in dancing, South Australia, it's pretty much stands out. Interesting. And then the other differences are sort of not statistically significant, so to speak. That like you can tell an expert in, in like phonetics could sit down and tell the difference between a speaker from Melbourne or from Brisbane. Yeah. But we couldn't reliably. I it's probably that could. I reckon I could I reckon too, I but could. that's because it's <laughs> Queensland exceptionalism. You don't know a goddamn thing. But I feel like the Queensland accent is quite forward, it's quite lazy, you're not moving your mouth a lot, so it's up here. Sydney's so like the same thing, but with a bit more money. And then when you get to like... <laughs> yeah, and you know how you know... And, and how I know you nailed that accent was because uh, it sounded like every politician that serves yeah, as prime me. minister. And then if you want to go to Melbourne, you basically do what any... Uh, Australian TV comedian because they're mostly from Victoria and it's just throwing your voice towards the, the back of your mouth and raising your, your soft palate and now we're talking like we're from Victoria. So it's like, it's just, I mean, th- there's a really subtle difference now I'm back to me now. But like, f- for me, I can I can tell that shit. But I'm a, I'm a sycophant for talking. What's so cool is how the dialect um, is so similar and that we say the same stuff. You could probably argue there's like, oh yeah, through the, it, Australia uh, was, you know, colonised by Europeans in the late 1700s to 19th century, and then the 20th century is mass media territory, so it's kind of universal. Mm. But apparently the reason is actually really cool and it's to do with how accents develop. So accents and dialects develop mostly through children. So new people come to place, Mm. so migrants come to place, um, and their kids at school like are in a whole new world and they don't remember Mother Britain or something. So they develop- how viruses mutate. Um, so, but they um, create a new dialect and accent together. Um, and then it's the generations of children that create it. So what happened in Australia is that it spread fast and from Sydney, but the, the, the accent clearly developed in the dialect basically, developed in Sydney mm. in the oldest settlement of Europeans and then um, stretched out to Hobart and Melbourne and Brisbane where we are. And as a result, it's kind of uniform. We're all kind of uniform across the country. D- plus, it's been a relatively short period of time. Yeah, it has. I mean, we're talking, when, when did you say Federation was? 1901. And um, First Fleet was, oh shit. 1788. 1788. Thank right. God for him. <laughs> I'm getting the dates right. Yeah. Hell yeah. Australian English. We need to talk about Australian English we at should. length. Yeah. So, it's defined and it's sound by the following things. Nasality, flatness. Nice. <laughs> yeah, mate. Um, is it Elysian or Elysian? Elysian. People who hear words, not Elysian. read them. Elysian. Wait, dude, I Elysian. Elysian. That's weird. Can I see that? Either yeah, yeah. or. Elysian. Elysian. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's like the elven king of the West. Ah, um, Elysian. Yes. <laughs> Elysian. So what that's is like, it? Describe what it is. Um, it's running over syllables. So, Straya. 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 Speak Strayan. Yeah, speak Strayan. Yeah, spelled S-T-R-I-N-E. Yeah, yeah. Straya, spelled S-T-R-A-Y-A. Khan Straya. Like, you'll see someone at a sporting event. Holding up a a, a, a a card that just has C A R N S T R A Y A. Khan Straya. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's like the, it's like the how you gone. Pure, yeah, how, how you gone. gone. Yeah, how Which you doesn't gone. mean how you're going, of course, because you, you you run into someone in the street like how you gone. It kind of means like I am not a threat to you. I traveler. mean you no harm, <laughs> brother. <laughs> Greetings. Do not well answer, met. honestly. And of course, good day is the famous one. How you gone? No one. Necromancy used to be legal. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what was the rising last one? tone. 
Rising Tone. Rising Tone. Rising Tone. Oh, I had a calzone, and it was real good. Why? We like to ask questions. <laughs> I think her. my okay off the dome. My hypothesis is because we want to seem create a collegiality in our speech to go. We are the same. Yeah, does that that soften? actually that is not that is not a hot take. That is a, that is a true take. I remember oh, now. Really, no shit. Yeah, yeah, no. It is sort of like a the the strong theory is that like I'm it's just a way of creating. You know what I mean? You and we I have know. the same oh, knowledge. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Picking up what I'm putting down. No. Are you? No. I speak declaratively <laughs> and I end each of my sentences uh, with a punctuation based on voice. So <laughs> we got a clearly self-defined picture of Australian English by the late 19th century. Mm -hmm. Coincidentally, around the same time, Lawson and Banjo-Patterson and writers like them are writing because they're kind of, in a way, they're kind of popularizing it and like codifying, hey, it's real. Because this is the same time in Britain as then they're developing received pronunciation, like the you know, official sort of like, I'm from the BBC and this is how we speak. Um, right, so non-regional. So you start to the get- the radio sounds like this today. <laughs> yeah, you start to get this like um, cringe happening because um, people are starting to see Australian uh, English and Australian accents as gross and um, pedestrian mm. and working class mm. and awful. So these elocution programs start around that turn of the century and they, they create this accent, which is the cultivated Australian accent, end quote, um, which you'll know from, from, from movies, actually, if you think about um, Elrond. Hugh, um, Hugo Weaving. Hugo, Hugo Weaving, Weaving and Galadriel, Kate, uh, Kate Blanchett. Blanchett. Both yeah. are, use in their, most of their roles this cultivated Australian accent, which is also Prime Minister Kevin so, Rudd sounds a bit um, like. The educated Brisbane Thor accent. in the Marvel Chris movies. Hemsworth. Uh, Chris Hemsworth. Yeah, in the first ones. Then later on, he's just fucking... Oh, yeah. just, <laughs> I stopped acting a while ago. Cheers. Yeah. <laughs> and that's really interesting because um, my accent has changed substantially from what I was growing up with, growing up in a sort of like mm. when I'm in a low socioeconomic family, I had a much mm -hmm. broader accent, which you can still hear from like my family. And I, I do sometimes take that back on when I've spent a lot of time with my family. Mm. And then um, I met, you know, these guys these and I went- Inner city, latte <laughs> sipping cucks. Okay, wow. <laughs> oh my God, first of all. <laughs> anyway, and I went to university um, and they made fun of me for saying use and I now speak like this. Yep. Yeah, and so it's really funny because if any non-Australians listen to this, are probably going like, oh my God, listen to their broad accents. How and I'm like, Australian. if I walk into a sort of very kind of like working class environment with this accent, I get like hate eyes. <laughs> okay, like I'm the, I'm the like private school fucking yeah. overeducated. Look at this bloody young politician piece of shit. <laughs> yeah. And Australian, the Australian, just Australian language sometimes doesn't make sense to me because yeah. of all the different weird words and phrases we use We to embrace colloquialism in a way we that I don't think it. anywhere else does in the world. Yeah. yeah. And we also em embrace stereotype as well. Oh, like yeah. the way that the world sees us, we run with that shit. Yeah, but it's interesting because it's all about that performance, isn't it? Mm. I, I, I think it must be this Australian thing that when, if somebody, if you're driving in the car with someone, you make a little joke that plays on an Australian stereotype, you, walk, you, um, you drive past the 4X brewery or something, like, oh yeah, fuck oh, 4X. Yeah, mate. <laughs> yeah, true blue. And then everyone will join in. They'll like start performing this it's extra. Like, oh, yeah, mate, yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah. And it says everything that that's a really male mm. Interesting. voice, Ooh. isn't it? <laughs> yeah, like do a stereotypical Australian voice right now. We just did. And yeah, mate, yeah, yeah. Hi, yeah. My voice drops like an octave. Bloody legend. Yep. Yeah. Do you have some examples of some weird and wacky uh My God, I words. almost forgot. I almost forgot. 
Because oh, we please. actually, we um, scored at a local uh, university book fair um, uh, an amazing 80s Macquarie Dictionary of Australian colloquialism. It looks so fucking it's 80s. So oh, my God. fantastic. It is bright, faded, banana yellow. It's it is. And it has two very poorly drawn cartoon koalas on the front. And I it is know, named... What? Aussie Talk, the Macquarie Dictionary of Australian Colloquialisms for Australians, for visitors, for fun. <laughs> How we laughed. So here's an example of some Australian vernacular that we can talk about. Fair dinkum. Oh, I love that. Yeah. I love it. I don't care what it means. <laughs> for me, that just means like um, bona fide. Yeah, bona fide or faithful. It's kind of like somewhere between those. Yeah, so you're either a fair dinkum person yeah. or you're going to do it fair dinkum. You, yeah, because you can also be, you, oh, be fair dinkum. Yeah, so you can... <laughs> it's an adjective, it's a noun, and it's a verb. Yeah, okay, perfect. Yeah. Here's another one. Um, you fucking right. You fucking right. That is one of the most aggressive things you can say to a human being. And it, what's interesting about that is that it's like, it is essentially at its core... Asking if you're okay. It's just like, <laughs> the question is, are you all right? But what you really mean is, I'm going to fucking knife you if you open your mouth again. Yeah, like, test me. Are you fucking right? Yeah. But it also can be used like, oh, are you like, are you right? Is like... You're right, mate? Yeah, are you right? But it's never that. But it's never that. It's always, are you fucking if right? If I was going to ask, it was like, man, are you okay? We could do a whole, <laughs> actually, we could do a whole podcast on the unique and discreet ways that Australia uses the word fuck. Fucking, yeah. Because it's like, you use it to exclaim, it's positive, it's negative, it's... Predominantly, fuck. it's like, um, to me now. Yeah, it, it's, like, it's, oh, a, it's a gap between fucking yeah. what I was going to say. It's a semicolon. Yeah. Um, all the different <laughs> ways to describe your drunkness. I'll go. I which love is, this. I mean, like, we just thought of, like, pissed, fucked up, blotto. And also, does the C also get on the piss? Get on the piss, yeah, which sounds to begin drinking. way worse than it's it is. drinking these. Yeah. And then, of course, there's she'll be right. She'll be right. Fuck, I love she'll be right. She'll, she'll be, be right. right. Yeah. The universal symbol for, like, I'm sure it'll work out, but honestly, I have no plan for it's, it. It's unreasonable confidence. I have no plan. Yeah, exactly. Unreasonable confidence preceding inexplicable success. That's what it is because it always works, right? You're like, you're trying to get a box up on the top shelf. It does. It's not going and there's two people helping and you're like, oh, fuck it. She'll be right. Yeah, no, Shove it up right. there and it's fine. Yeah. And also <laughs> the, the very idea that it's essentially uh, anthropomorphizing the state of the universe <laughs> into a feminine form. It's like, what will be right? She will. All things. All matter will be okay. <laughs> she she, she will everything. be right. She'll be right, an, my brother. She will be all right. An extension comrade. of she'll be right is too right. Oh, yeah, too right. Which is like the same, I feel, as... Um, oh, fuck. Gone. I've lost it. But too, too right is very much like... Um, you know. Oh, bloody oath. Yeah, yeah, an, an agreement of yeah. like, yeah. yeah. Bloody yeah. oath, fucking oath, yeah. fuck oath. I love, by the oath. way, you just translated a colloquialism with another colloquialism. No, 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 I, was, yeah. I was doing a comparison between two similar colloquialisms. So, oh, two right. Bloody oh, oath. you mean bloody oath. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just like firm agreement with what you have just said. Like, you know, I, I posit that, of course, Queensland is the better football team. And you say, ah, oh, bloody oath, or fuck oath, or oath, or oath cunt, or yeah. any of these. Or too bloody right. Or too right. Yeah, and see, like, okay, the uh, swearing is is integral as well. We already talked mm. about fuck, but mm -hmm. 
Uh, the word cunt means something different in this. So to, yeah. for those listening and thinking, oh my God, that's They're so horrible. They're being so crass. Uh, it, it, we are. And thanks, <laughs> and thanks for listening. Um, it basically, it has a different meaning. Most of the time it actually means friend. friend yeah. I.e. in see and use um, mad cunt as one word. Exactly. But if somebody that you don't know calls you mate. Oh, that biffo is about to start. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, you right, know, it, it, I, I saw a really, really neat kind of uh, meme thing once, which was just basically like Australia, the place where you call your mates cunts and people that you hate mate. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Like if, if somebody goes like, you right, mate, exactly what we're talking about, but you fucking right, mate, that is an aggressive thing. But like... That is when somebody is going to have a punch on a punch or on. a biffo. Or a biffo. Which is to fight. Biffo being a shortening of a word which we don't actually know, I don't think. No, we don't. <laughs> we don't know why it's is called biffo. Is it biffo an abbreviation or is it an extension of the it's word It's an abbreviation because it ends with the letter O, Jim. Yeah, but I mean like <laughs> Jim is extended to Jimbo, which is just an extra syllable. Okay, no but reason. the thing is like, in a, here we are on a new topic, people. Oh my God. It's the shortening of things. It's abbreviations. The abrevs. It the is, abrevs. And talk about like Australian English being like a land of creativity and unending evolution. Yeah. We shorten everything. We have... Snags for sausages. We have champers for champagne. Chippy for a chip shop. Smoko for a break involving a cigarette. Or just a break. Just a break. Because not as many people smoke, smoke these days. Yeah. Maccas for McDonald's to the extent that McDonald's is actually formally called Maccas in Australia. There's mm. signage that says Maccas rather than McDonald's because they've learnt our ways. Mm. Chocky, Bicky, Chocky, Bicky. Uh, Arvo for afternoon. I quite like for. Um, Track pants, uh, tracky dackies. Tracky dackies. Uh, which is just so dumb. It's so cute. It's PJs. extra syllables. It's like the servo. Like I'm going to pop to the servo in the Arvo to get a Siggy. <laughs> or know. a Durry for or a cigarette. A durry. And I've never really understood what that's short for. Maybe nothing. Uh, um, the number of names for a cigarette, by the way, if I could just touch on that. Yeah, One do. of my favourites is a dart. Oh, a dart, yes. And also the, the verb, you do not smoke a dart. You punch a dart. <laughs> So it's like uh. there's some bloody worker out there sitting there. It's a ha handsome guy, true Aussie battler, strong jaw, and he's out there punching darts and breaking hearts every Friday. <laughs> okay, so the important thing to say as well is that you might have thought, oh, these are all things you'd like, but they're not all things we like. Uh, we Australia famously hates politicians, but we say pollies. And also journos for journalists. We yeah, even we, have the leaders of the political parties are Albo and ScoMo. Yeah, but Sco, the, the difference is that like <laughs> Albo was given his nickname by people who knew him. ScoMo came up with a focus group. Uh, Scott Morrison, the current Prime Minister of Australia, and hopefully if you're listening to this in the future, he's fucking not. Um, <laughs> Literally put a focus group together and went, what do you think of this nickname I'm going to give myself? And it got approved enough for him to start using it. And it's like the kind of guy that you get to know in school. It's just like, hey, man, could you guys call me Rocket? And we're like, yeah, no, 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 you fucking loser. No. No. But it says everything that <laughs> that was actually kind of a, effective. A, effective. And it was actually, it did endear him in Australia. It resonated, yeah. Yeah, because it was a simple nickname that invoked familiarity, which is the whole idea. Now, these things are actually called like Smoko Servo Sanger, Hypercharistics is actually the term for Hypercharistics? Hypo. Oh, so hypos. Yeah, yes. <laughs> <laughs> nice one. Nice. Diminutives, abbreviations evoking familiarity. I love effect, uh, like, diminutives of affection exist in other languages as well. So, like, for example, like Spanish, yeah. the um, ito or ita at the end of something basically implying that it's little. Like your, if you love your your grandma or so, she's like your abuelita. You know what I mean. So it's mm. like it it is a 
calling you someone small, like Jimmy would be in a diminutive of affection. It's like taking uh, the grown man's name of Jim or James and putting it in kind of like a cute little childish form. So like the fact that we do this is kind of adorable because it's basically saying that it's like, oh, aren't you a cute little um, grammatical format? Like, (laughs) Well, like hot take totally off the dome. Um, We we were just talking about the fact that dialects and and colloquialisms and stuff can start with kids and kids at school and Mm. generations growing up. Mm -hmm. Maybe they were using diminutives like really heavily. I don't know. Like, Mm. But, you know, so the earliest recorded are a spellow, Meaning a break from work, a spello, spello. Wow, so I don't know what it's short that's for. equivalent like the the smoko equivalent. Yeah, it's yeah. evolved to now mean smoko. Yeah, um, schoolie, but it meant a teacher, like a school teacher. You're a schoolie. A schoolie. Wow. Now of course it means a school leaver who's about to get on the piss. It's a funny thing. It's exactly what we talk about the familiarity, but it's about creating this sort of sense of um, cohesion between the speakers, just like the rising tone. It's like I'm using this term, mm. think not saying you know what I mean. So I'm going to say that you know what I mean, even if I don't. Mm. But the funny thing about that is that it's got it's more than just familiarity. It also sort of creates normality. In what way? So it creates, it's normal to be familiar with that thing. So I'm going right, to go out for a, yeah. for a smoko. It's not just saying I want to have a cigarette break. It's for saying, as we all know, it is written, we go on cigarette break. Yeah, exactly. So there's, there's this um, memory I have um, when I was, uh, working for a little while in a AV company on, and it was in far north Queensland for about a week and a half, and it was, you know, just hot and unpleasant. But anyway, mm. um, you know, there was this particular piece of kit uh, that was a, like a distributor. It was a power distributor, but it wasn't called that. It was called the distro. Distro. It's called the distro. Makes of course, sense. it was. Um, but there was this guy I was working with. It was it was really um really rough edged <laughs> um, and quite rude at times. And I came and he hated me because what did I just say about like my accent working, mm. walking into s- scenarios where like different kinds of memories. You are like, the sewing, sewing needle to his blunt instrument. <laughs> yes. Um, and, and I say like, you know, um, where's the, uh, where's the power distributor? Should we, should we get that set up? It's like, the what? He sort of says as if knocking me, saying, oh, what fancy thing is this fucking schoolboy basically thing? And I said, like, uh, the, the distro? And he's like, oh, the distro, yeah, of course. And he was kind of embarrassed. <laughs> and I'm like, what? why don't we just speak the King's English for just a hot second? I'm like, but of course, but it was the distro was a normalizing term in that sense. Yeah. He was so saying you, you should know about it. You were being weird, but yeah, of course. And I was being be. weird for using yeah. the real word. Just the same way that um, common words like... Uh, Oh, take me to the liquor store, sir. Like, what the hell is that? It's the bottle-o. The bottle-o, idiot. Take me to the service station or petrol station. Servo. The servo, yeah. Yeah, the addition of O and the abbreviation. It's something that I genuinely love about Australian English. And to be fair, the normalization kind of, again, it ties in with that, the strange, hypocritical kind of exclusive unity of, <laughs> of you know, like we, we're all these battlers, we're all doing it tough no matter mm. our kind of level of uh, mm. society, wherever we all have to speak with the same tone, you know. Yeah. Um, it's played upon by our politicians, by the way. It's yeah, like I think, I they, think... they like to use the kind of like, I'm talking down to you because I have this tone and you have that tone kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. That's bullshit. And I think that's a really interesting thing because like there's a lot of various different ways that we are unified languages being one of them, but also we have like unique cultural expressions as well um, that sort of play out. And there's a lot of weird things about Australia that I find so endearing and fascinating because 
Um, and what I'm referring to is the nut bush, obviously. The nut bush. Because God. everyone knows the stance. If you're an Australian and you've you gone don't, through you school. Don't, you're doing the normalisation. I don't know what No, but you're is. older. It oh. was introduced into the school <laughs> curriculum after you had gone through primary school. Oh. So everyone else knows it except you. Oh, no. Oh, no. I'll teach you it later. But what is the is nut bush? Is this a TikTok? <laughs> I want to do the dance. Um, so the nut bush. The Nutbush Nut City Limits. Yeah, if you know the Tina Turner's classic song, Nutbush City Limit, right? Is it just called? Eh, fuck it, I don't, I don't care. It's, it's called, called that. It's called Nutbush City Limits. <laughs> um, and what Australians did, and only Australians, is we created somehow out of nowhere, we don't know where it started, we don't know when it started, all we know is it's here, and it's a line dance to the song Nutbush City Limit, which we call yeah. the Nutbush. And so... It was popularised in the 80s. Love that. It strikes me as extraordinarily 80s. And um, it really took off in the 80s and then because of how popular it was, it eventually was implemented into Australian school curriculums because if you've done the nutbush before, it is cardio to the wall. (laughs) Is it? I don't... It's it's so difficult. You step step to the side a little bit and then there's a couple of these. Step to the side. So it's... And then jump and you turn. Do you want me... Just, whack, just jump up. And, no, I'm not going to do it no, on the I'll, audio on the podcast. Yeah. So essentially, it's like it's like you take two steps back. <laughs> what are we doing? I don't want. I don't. Anyway, care. I don't the, care. The, the steps are really easy. You can look at it on online. You can find uh, videos of it. And in fact, what you should look up is the Guinness World Record, Australian held Guinness World Record <sighs> of the largest congregation of people doing the nutbush. Is it too so, late to move somewhere else? <laughs> no. So in. 2019, at the Big Red Bash, which is a bit of, is a is a bushdorf. It's a it's a bushdorf. A bushdorf, or otherwise known as a country music festival. A concert that is, is done it? in the Simpson Desert, which is fucking hot. No, no, sorry, a music festival in the country. The music is not country. The music yeah, is not country. Like, what the fuck? Did you, what do you? What kind of dorf did you go to? So the Simpson Desert, if anyone knows, is. It's desert, it's hot, it's it's rough. And so in 2018, at the Big Red Bash, 1,719 people danced the nutbush. And then in 2019, 2,330 people did it. And they have the Guinness World Record. They also have the Guinness World Record for doing it for the longest time. They did it for five minutes, which is longer than the song goes for. I right? just, okay, so here's the thing. I was so happy coming into this episode about all the cool <laughs> shit that we're going to talk about. And now it's like, uh, this is one of those ones that's like inexplicable. Yeah. Right? So you look at it and it's like, but I don't, for some reason, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's classism, but like, uh, <laughs> oh my God, could this be about me? <laughs> the, like I look at it and it's not, it's not the cute kind of inexplicable, like why are we abbreviating all of this shit? It's just kind of like one of those things where it's like, just, it's not even an Australian song. Like, no, it's not, God. but the dance is so Australian because it's it's a it's a it's beautiful to watch. Isn't it just boot scooting? No, that's a whole different line dance. Oh, okay. Well, colour me wrong. What are you then. saying? It's like, it's like you comparing brigand. It's, it's like comparing that to the Macarena. What are you doing? I would, actually, here's the thing. It occurred to me to compare it to that earlier, and I'm glad I didn't. Well, it is comment. similar in this in the in the structure. <laughs> in that it was a 80s or 90s uh, phenomenon. Dance fad that but has... the other, so just continuing with the weirdness of Australia for a hot second. Yes, yes. Um, So we've got the nutbush. We're famous for it. I had to recently teach people the nutbush, people who didn't know it because they were from like, you know, a little country called New Zealand and they didn't do the nutbush there. Can I quickly ask you, when yeah. you say had to? Um, I volunteered to because okay, I love the yeah, dance so much. You. Right, um, Your passion. You. 
Yeah. Knows no bounds. Okay, all right. Anyway, but like on the on the topic of, of Australia and weird things that we, we have, um, I don't know if either of you two fellas. Blokes. Blokes know about the big things of Australia. Oh, the big things. Like your big uh, things. Queensland's got the big pineapple. We do indeed. Yeah. So there's 150 of them in Australia. There's 150 <laughs> big things. Fuck yeah. And there's competition. Why? There's competition because there are in several... So in each state, they there are a variety of big things and there are competitions and debates around which of the things are bigger. So there's so two big it's sheep. It's not, by the way, a real pineapple. So we're talking about like oh, a no. big fake statue. statue of a pineapple... For I'm gonna I'm just gonna posit the theory no fucking reason at all. Well, Jim, it's to commemorate the region's production of pineapple. Okay, sure. Um, because most of these big things are associated with whatever the town or wherever what they produce. So there's there's like the big oh my god, this is the best thing in the world actually, and this relates to another. <laughs> <laughs> like the more I looked into this, the more I just want to make my own big thing. So, <laughs> In South Australia, they the have they have the big goon sack. <sighs> the big because goon sack. this is gonna take some explanation. Goon now. being boxed wine. Goon is by the way, boxed <laughs> wine being named goon is probably the closest thing to onomatopoeia that you can get. <laughs> Like that straight up sounds like what it is. Yeah, and so it's four point five liters of wine in a box. Sold, right? And it was invented in... Well, it's 19- in a sack, isn't it? Well, it's in a sack it's in a box. It's in a sack in a box. <laughs> and, yeah. the, and, and the sack is actually called a space bag. A space bag. It's what it's referred to. It's called to. a fucking goon sack. It's called yeah, a goon, it's sack. goon sack. You strap it to the clothesline. And you do Spin goon it around. Oh, now we got to talk about goon of fortune. Okay, no, we, so don't. <laughs> we don't. They can look it up, you know? They yeah, have just, Google. Yeah, but yeah. the thing that is really cool about this, right, is there's a big boxed wine goon sack situation in South Australia because South Australia which is known as being one of the best wine regions in this country, mm. invented goon. Yeah, hell yeah. Um, in 1965 by, a cost-cutting a, exercise. by an Australian <laughs> bloke called Thomas Angrove. Nope, Thomas Angove. Let me try That's Yeah. Thomas Anchovy. Angove. They called him Angove. And he patented the wine package in a carton box and now we can do uh, goon of fortune. We don't know why it's called <laughs> <laughs> And that's great. I'm going to an Australian-themed... Like Australian icons themed 30th, there will be Goon of Fortune. You should dress as a goon sack. I'm going out. No, a few of my friends from work were going as the Irwins. Um, it's very oh, that's, cute. That's actually really yeah, cute. Yeah, I'm going as Terry. It's going to be great. Um, yeah, you should have a little toy crocodile. And like, By the way, like, like, I've got to grab Seriously, if there's anyone out here somehow listening to this who hasn't heard of Steve Irwin, just go look up compilations of him talking about wildlife on YouTube. You'll have he's a great an icon. He's He was a wonderful man. Was a wonderful man, yeah. Um, but... Just to quickly answer, why is it called Goon? We don't know. We're moving on. Um, <laughs> Fair enough. Um, so big things. Um, so the the most hilarious thing that I found was there is a lot of con- contestation around which of these two sheep are the big sheep. Oh, there's a big sheep. There's big sheep. There's the big merino and the big sheep. Okay, merino big being mer- sheep. Yeah. Well, right? I mean that, yeah. So what's really interesting is they were built within a year of each other. Mm-hmm. And the one that was built second pips it by this much. Like they literally like by this much. But what's more important is the first one that was built has larger testicles and that's very important. Hell yeah. So this is this and is like the criteria. The testicles. You can go inside them. They're using the testicle size as like part of the criteria. You can go in. I'm sorry. Let's not bury this headline. You can <laughs> you can enter the testicles of the big. Yeah, marina. yeah. To get up to the gift shop. <laughs> Which is of course located in the anus. <laughs> Wait, how big is the fucking thing? Massive. 
massive. That you can huge. climb into its scrotum? It's huge, yes. Yeah, dude. I mean, do we need to? I don't know. It's like a people. Uh, let me. I don't know the size of a sheep scrotum, so I can't gauge from this the size of the sheep. Yeah, no, I don't think a regular size sheep scrotum allows you to <laughs> enter the sheep <laughs> that way. So where's the big merino? Um, that's a really good question, and I'm like really just quickly googling that. <laughs> uh, in Goulburn, New South Wales. Oh, okay. Wait, have we? We've probably driven past that on tour. Like, I've, there's definitely been a big sheep that I've seen once or twice. Yeah. I mean, there probably wasn't a dream. In a delirious road haze of yeah, some Yeah, in the kind. road haze of Australian touring. It's like, you don't sleep for long enough, you just start seeing big things. Yeah. Um, and it's really, it, like, it's it's quite um, impressive. And I think there's another one that's um, in, it might be in Western Australia, and that they're the two that are like, which one's the biggest? Um, but you've also got the big prawn, you've got the big pineapple, you've got the big banana, which is another Queensland one. We've yeah, got the, the big, big banana. banana. Oh, but what about Matilda, though? And you got Matilda, the big kanga. The kangaroo. Is the big kangaroo gone though? No, it's still no, there. I think it's still there. My God. Okay, so guys, Matilda, stop, stop recording. We have to go find it. <laughs> <laughs> Matilda was a giant animatronic kangaroo that was used for the so... opening of the Commonwealth Games in Brisbane in 1982. And then somehow we found it out the back of a really shitty service station on a road stop halfway to Gympie. Um, it's bizarre that this exists. It's bizarre that it existed in the first place. It's just... <laughs> Can we just talk about beer or something? Fuck! <laughs> God damn it. And it turns its head, right? It, turns, it, it does. Matilda it blinks turns. and it's got, yeah, it's fucked. But it's rusty and old, so the blink is slow. It's like, and also the sound <laughs> that it makes, it's like it's screaming the whole time. Just let mm. me die. I'm 280s to live, which is how I feel every day. My God. I was born there. So. How are you going to get us out of this then? Well, what I'm going to, what I am going to point out is that like, so they, 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 they're they growing a number, these big things, because more and more people are doing. The number of big apples that are in this country are insane. Like we need to stop with the big apples. Um, but I think it's really fascinating that we, for some reason, are tourist trapped by our, by our own tourist traps, because that's what these are ostensibly. Mm. The large things of Australia, the big things of Australia are things that people go and see. But we do that. Australians go and see our own big see, shit. I, like, <laughs> I, I can't even get into the head of um, a sheep because I'm stuck in the balls. No, I can't. I can't. <laughs> I can't get into the, the mindset of people that are that are building these things because, like, the thing is, we live in this kind of like very post existence. Yeah. I live in the meme verse. Like everything is is lols. Like it's just it, you know, the, the darkest things, the most nonsensical things. So when I think about like the making a big apple, the idea of doing that for me, all I can think is just like, <laughs> yeah. like that's that's the only justification. But I know that there are people out there genuinely passionate about like we're going to make the biggest fucking bullsack ever <laughs> to have been seen. Well, you should, everyone. Actually, this is the little treat. Go and look up the big potato. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say on that. We're going to move on now. Because Isn't that just Peter Dutton, our minister for uh, defense. defense? Yeah, no. Um, it's it's funnier than that, actually. Okay, good. Uh, yeah. Um, and so, like, a total handbrake turn in Please. terms of this conversation. <laughs> We're just going to do a full-on U-turn, a Yui. screeching. Do a Chuck a Yui. Chuck yep. a Yui. Mm-hmm. Um, because I want to sort of discuss now, we've been making jokes about inner city latte sipping, yada, yada, yada. Yes. So I think it's really important to sort of hit on what kind of Australia do we live in? What is the cuisine? Cuisine, some might say. The cuisine. <laughs> Which one's real again? Cuisine. Cuisine, yeah. Um, and I think one of the best places to start is beer culture and coffee culture because yeah. I do think that those are really um, external mm. sort of like stereotypes as well that like Australia is known for being a coffee place and we're also known for our beer consumption because we like to get 
on the piss. On the but piss. Australians more often identify with one of those than the other. Yes. They'll admit that Australia is like, oh, it's a beer drinking country, mate. We're all men. Um, but like, <laughs> <laughs> but we're all men. No, he said so definitively there. That was very strong. But like the coffee thing is like, again, we that's that stereotype of like, oh, this, oh, we're not a coffee. That's diet. That's like an American thing. It's like, really? and then everyone else is just like, oh no, we make espresso coffee with foamed milk, the flat white. Um, and slatty. I would just like beer that tastes less like beer, please. <laughs> um, and so I think coffee coffee is a really so coffee is a really good example of the way that migration has impacted our culture mm. because obviously Australia, in order like you have the entire nation is apart from the indigenous Australians is migration. Everyone had mm. to get here on a boat at some point, mm-hmm. um, and so migration is integral to the food culture, the coffee culture, the drinking culture. And so coffee is a really beautiful example because it didn't get into Australian culture until the 1920s and it was actually from Russian refugees. They brought their espresso tools. Mm-hmm. So I always thought it was Italian migrants, really? but it's Russian migrants that brought it here. And then it was after World War II, really kicked off because of the Italian migration and they brought their cafe culture. So the Russians brought the coffee the, and the Italians cafe culture came brought from the Italy, cafe right. culture, ah. and cafe culture. I mean, I think we can all attest to this. It's kind of really a central point of it's Australia. Massive. I might also point out that having travelled the world quite extensively, <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, my, that's the sound of me being very important. Today. <laughs> um, no, is that uh, we straight up do the best co- coffee in the world? Yes, we do. Like, I, yeah, like if know, people hire, they find Australian baristas and yeah, like even even in Italy, Italy, I had a great cappuccino, but it's just like it didn't beat what we get here at our best mm. breakfast. I have food, a great know. quote, actually. Hit so me. they go, Aussies don't suffer bad coffee and they'll often pass up a nearby cafe and instead travel a great distance for their morning coffee at their favourite cafe. Mm. This also means that substandard coffee shops don't stand a chance and why global chains have never been able to gain a foothold. So Starbucks try to open up cafes here, like well, Starbucks yeah. coffee chains here. 60 of the 84 Australian locations in 2008 were closed. Whoa. And the Starbucks is still around. Like yes. there are Starbucks. No, we see them, yeah. Yeah, but they I are... genuinely think it's mostly tourists who use them. Yes. And the <laughs> other thing that was really interesting, so I looked at a lot of statistics around coffee. 95% of Australian coffee places are independent cafes. Whoa. Which I think is pretty insane because when I think about like American drink, Chains. it's changed. It's, changed, it's yeah. you know, Dunkin', yeah, yeah, it's yeah. Mm-hmm. Starbucks. I'm not going to yeah. do any more because they're not sponsoring not us. Spawn. Um, <laughs> and so... The really amazing part of our coffee culture is it's one of our cultural exports. It's one of our only cultural exports, really, that has had a mm. profound impact. Oh, it's- there was Akadaka. Yeah, and Silverchair, come on, fuck Silverchair, off. Silverchair, Akadaka, sure. <laughs> Sorry, Akadaka is ACDC. Yeah. Silverchair, yeah. Anyway, but like, I think in terms of like, um, and so you've got oh, North American and UK kind of hiring Australian baristas in their cafes that they want to have this quality coffee experience mm-hmm, with. Mm-hmm. Um and the flat white has become like this weird sort of global challenge because despite it arguably being quite simple, it's, like it's an easy a bit, one. No, it's so difficult to make. Why? Because you've way? got to get the ratio of foamed and steamed and it's, I don't pretend oh, to understand the latte it. Has I'm not more a barista. Milk, so yeah. And the cappuccino is mostly froth. And so the flat well, white is- Yeah, cappuccino is a flat white with a bit of chucky on top. <laughs> yeah, yum, yum, yum. I remember, I have this memory, and this is a 90s ass memory, as I remember going with mum to uh, a little cafe in the back of a clothes store somewhere. We would do it every time. 
and uh, you get like a little toasted ham and cheese sandwich and mum would have her cappuccino and the cappuccino was a 90s cappuccino, which means that it was like <laughs> the cup and then about the cup's size of foam on the top of it. So it's just had this big hat. And I remember, you know, mum getting a spoonful of sugar and popping it on top and you would just watch the sugar sink endlessly into the void of this thing. And now you, the cappuccino is nothing like that. No, and I, I always love it when I go to a cafe that does like a very foamy cappuccino and I'm yeah. like, oh, what a but treat. self-consciously done. Like yeah, they're it doing is. A they're doing cappuccino. a 90s like, cappuccino. Oh, look at this. Uh, a soy cap. Yeah, and I think that there's a lot of discussion around like the etiquette around our coffee drinking experience. So like in Italy, they have a very like, you get your espresso, you drink it while standing, you get the fuck out of there. Mm. Whereas like in our culture, it's like you take your time, you know, you you know what you want and you, you probably have your one drink that you get. My dad's mm. a latte man. I love a good flatty. A flatty. A flatty. A flat-o. A flat-o. Um, you know, you don't get a lot of drip coffee here. They're starting to do batch brew these days, which is sort of a drip coffee variant, but you're not mm. going to get like your percolator yeah, no, you action. But it's done with chic in mind rather than practicality. And yeah, And it's absolutely. more expensive. Yeah, exactly. It's not like there's like a, a you know, reheating uh, yeah. jug of old coffee there. Yeah, like a, I would a, love that. <laughs> policeman on the edge yeah. of retirement reaching for the his hand shaking as he reaches for the pot. Why did you make that so dark? I don't know, yeah. man. And so like know. cafes are a sort of a vital and like like staple of social, the social fabric. Because when you go and you want to have like a casual meetup with someone, you go like, do you want to go get a coffee? Mm. Is the experience that you have. like, And, and coffee doesn't necessarily mean coffee, it means you want to come and go to sit at a cafe and have your hot or cold beverage of choice. Mm. But let's have an interaction and this is the space in which we have those social in interactions. Place, right? In a yeah. different cafe place. culture. Yeah. Like, I loved like um, walking with um, like an American through an Australian university campus for the, kind of the first time. Um, and all they said was just, um, that's just, why is, this, why is there's another cafe? There's another <laughs> cafe because in an Australian university campus, there are literally cafes on every corner and you just keep track of them in their opening hours and which ones are better or cheaper. Yeah. And you are literate in all of them. You're counting the ones at hours, right? Nine. Yep, nine. 10 coffee cart, 10. Mm-hmm. And the Guzman does coffee it's too. It's like ridiculous. <laughs> there's that's like crazy. 11 places you can get coffee and about eight of them are sit down cafes. Yeah, see, but again, this is one thing that I love about Australia as well, because for all of our appearance of the whole, you know, like I said, the the dirty-faced bloke with the Akubra and he's down by the river doing something nondescript with a shovel. Like, um, that that whole thing. Very menacing. There are bodies in my base. He's the ghost. uh, And he drowns himself in a billabong, yeah. Um, For all of that, like, we do get a whole bunch, we we, we observe and, and, and enjoy a whole bunch of comforts and luxuries. Yes. And I think that's where, like, if we pop over then to the sort of beer culture, like, there is sort of a snobbery around, and there's there's definitely a coffee snobbery in this in this country. Sure. I am one of those people that has a very strong coffee snobbery. Yeah, but no I, one admits it. I, I do. You just did. I <laughs> freely admit it. I'm a snob for coffee. I, anyway, but I think the same goes for beer, but beer is a very different process because you have people who are snobbishly into craft and people who are snobbishly not into craft. Yeah, snobbishly into why would I drink anything but 4X but Gold? But 4X Gold. Not and, Spawn. But it is about that sort of like distinction between sort of like mm-hmm. comforts and luxury mm. because I do think that that's where it's getting split. And it kind of, it's a, it's a weird class dimension as well. Um, and that's reflected in language as well. You know, if you talk about the difference between your cultivated English, the broad English accent actually, so the broad Australian English accent actually developed in contrast to the cultivated one. So there was an original Australian accent. Mm-hmm. It spread out. 
There was a cultivated one that responded to it that was basically a, a work of British imperialism, mm-hmm. um, trying to re-Englishanize Australia. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there was a counter to that with a sort of that upward snobbery that Australia is very fond of yeah. um, to make a really thick, broad accent that developed after that through the early 20th century that, you know, like the, the really true, like fair dinkum, mate, the ones yeah, we're making mate. fun of. Yeah, exactly that. So it was actually a response to that as well. So that, that kind of tension between like class identities, mm. even though we're like remarkably classless relative mm. to other countries in terms of culture. Yeah. But that, that language is there as well. And sometimes I sense that in the fact that I was very, very willing to think that Forex Gold that I'm drinking right now would be a disgusting yeah. when it's actually not. Yeah. And actually some craft beer is undrinkable. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> You no, know. I agree with that. And but I get it. I guess that's personal. I mean, I didn't start drinking beer until 2020. So. I did recently trim off the curly ends of my mustache, and I tell you what, I haven't been enjoying craft beer as much since. <laughs> that's very funny. But Thank I, you. I think Thank we, you. we, we had drink. many conversations actually about craft beer versus sort of like other beer, and that there's a brand here called Furphy that is like kind of like bridging the gap between that because it's in like a VB style bottle. So it's a squat stubby. VB is Victorian beer, which is also another terrible Australian. Yeah. And so it's a squat kind of fat bottle, but it's like really, really good beer in it. Mm -hmm. And so it's like appealing. Not 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 obviously. Although, although. (laughs) Although I'd take a Furphy's. I'd take a Furphy's. And the kind of joke is that Furphy is is slang for it. It's like bullshit, like a bullshit story. Yeah. You're telling Furphy's. Telling a Furphy's. It's you're telling lies. Yeah. And so it's like, but it's like, it's just such an, and it it's a kind of a crafty, it's very hoppy. It's got all of the qualities so of a craft I, I feel beer. like you could play on all of this knowledge about Australian culture as a, somebody creating a, 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 like a product of some kind and just try and like get the coin to land on its side or hit the bullseye on the point between the upper snobbishness and the lower snobbishness yeah. and just <laughs> yeah. get everyone to love your fucking product. It's just like- Yeah, the, there it is. <laughs> yeah, there's a, there's a Venn diagram and it barely crosses, but there it is, I there can it see is. it. They're unifying Australia. Yeah. They're bringing us together. And um, I think that like beer and coffee is is one element, but definitely like the food is mm. um is the bit where you really see how migration has impacted Australia. Yeah, because I was going to say I mm. would not be able to identify what I would call a distinctly Australian meal, mm. like because all of them, whether yeah. it's European culture or not, are affected by culture. Like if you're the kind of person who's grown up in Australia on meat and three veg, um, you know, or, or you know, lasagna or spaghetti yeah, like bolognese or really something like, like that. Really like Anglo-typical food. Yeah, yeah. Th- then that is a cultural element as well. Like, it, because again, there's, there is a tendency in Australia, this is one of the more sort of negative things, is to look at like the foundation of that um, Western European um, basis as culture as zero. Yeah. Like that's normal. That's the normal point and everything else is outside of that, which is quite simply not true and it never has been. Mm. But yeah, even so, if you grew up with curry, that's a cultural thing. If you grew up with meat and three veg, steamed fucking Brussels sprouts that suck ass, that's, mm. that's cultural as well. Absolutely. And what was really interesting was like when you look at sort of the Australian cuisine now, what is like people's food of choice? A lot of Asian dishes, you mentioned that we are actually in the Southeast Asian Pacific yeah, region. Yeah. So stir fries, curries, sushi are mm. all are synonymous with kind of Australian culture, particularly like Thai. Mm. Thai, I don't know what it is about Australians and Thai food, but we froth it. Because it's fucking It's so good. It's probably climate. <laughs> but yeah. like, you know, like sushi, I want to point out especially because if I was going to say like, what's the street food of Brisbane, especially? Yeah, sushi. It's sushi. Sushi. Yeah, and it's, fact, and it's because it's like Japanese Australians brought that. Mm-hmm. And made a new kind of like Japanese Australian food as well because yeah, avocado because it, sushi yeah. 
You're not, I you're not finding that's... that on the menu in Japan. I don't think so. <laughs> yeah. No. And in fact, um, as of 2014, the annual sushi sales um, were starting to rival the traditional meat pie sales. So you've got wow. 116 million serves of sushi a year versus 177 million tri- pies being sold. Yeah, see, and the thing is, like, for context, when I say traditional meat pie, mm-hmm. it comes out in that accent. So <laughs> that's the tone of that. Yeah, <laughs> and, and so... People have described food as a really beautiful like bridging and we've spoken about this in comfort foods. It's a bridging point between two cultures where you can connect, share and educate each other through food. Mm. And so what we had was essentially we had these waves of migration that resulted in these cultural exchanges and these Australian specific versions of these migratory foods. So you've Mm -hmm. got initially a Chinese restaurants emerging from the Victorian gold fields, which now has is predominantly Cantonese food mm-hmm. was because they were predominantly Cantonese people. Mm. Um, and that cemented the local Chinese restaurant, which is everywhere. Like you can't live somewhere without having a local Chinese restaurant. And they're usually of like a particular style. Right? Of a particular yeah. style. And actually I've got a quote here that says, even when the white Australia policy, which was a awful policy that we had in this country, which mm. limited migration to European, white European people. From um, up until about the 1950s. Uh, arguably Way until the 1970s. And there was <laughs> dictation tests, it was awful. But so even though the white Australia policy did draw a halt to Chinese immigration in 1901, special visas were made for Chinese chefs mm. to come over here and work because wow. the Chinese food was so popular. Because yeah, they obviously- we'll, we'll take your food. Because yeah, you I mean, and it's great. Fuck that. <laughs> yeah, and it's like, it's, but it's one of those things where they, they obviously were very separate on the goldfields for a very long time, mm-hmm. but then mm-hmm. a lot of white Australians were like, that smells fucking good. Yeah. I'm going to start eating that. And obviously there's a, there's, it's all steeped in horrible racism and mm-hmm. all of that because we can't get away from that in this country. Um, well, we're trying to. We're but trying we can't to, get away from it in our history. In our history sure. in particular. And then you've got the Italian migration and that obviously introduced some profoundly Australian, what we would now call Australian foods, like spag bowls and all of that. That's spag bowl being our version of spaghetti bolognese, which yeah. is to say nothing like traditional <laughs> spaghetti bolognese. Yeah, and then you've got, and then all I have is like, then we all fell in love with Thai food. Yeah, mm-hmm. we did. And we've st- sustained that. And then you've got the post-Vietnam War mig- migration, which mm-hmm. introduced Vietnamese street food, which is also another staple. Yeah, it's a staple When food. we go yeah. on tour, in Australia, and this bled into the rest of the world as when we, when we started touring globally, we always look for Vietnamese. Mm. It is like, you know, if we can get a, a hot bowl of pho, like mm. wherever we are in the world, mm. that is that is wholesome and happy tour food. That is happy bellies. Yeah. Yeah, because Australia is not the Australia of waltzing Matilda mm. anymore. Like it's not this like white colonial And as we experience. discussed earlier, it never really was. Yeah. You know, that was a whitewashing and an... Uh, um, aggrandizing mm-hmm. of a, a moment that was probably like a, a, a racially charged execution killing by po- police force. Yeah, says a lot. You know, so it's like that, historically, that's what it really was and it's been painted in this cartoon fashion. So of course, our modern life doesn't reflect it in that way either. However, because of the core of that poetry and those stories mm. that were told and the culture that came as a, as a, again, with a thick accent, bucking the system, trying to be put on us by the, by mm-hmm. the English, um, all of those things have shaped who we are at our core. And I think that's why when you start putting on that voice around other Aussie blokes, they'll immediately start doing it as well because we all live with this hilarious <laughs> cartoon inside of us. Now, it occurred to me before that like we are a nation that is so fundamentally proud of who we are that we will straight up dress up as ourselves. 
Like if, if you're going to like an Australiana or Aussie themed birthday party or something like that, someone's going to come with an Akubra hat on that has corks attached to strings wrapped around the outside and a bottle and a can of Foster's, which is a beer, by the way, Americans, we don't drink that shit. Um, <laughs> you know, we are the kind of people that will make fun of ourselves and each other while also being so proud of ourselves and each other. Mm. We genuinely do appreciate and and behave with that that core of mateship that we talked about. And mm. like I said, in 2011, the floods hit Southeast Queensland and everyone was looking out for their neighbors, you know, across all walks of life. And so these are the things that make me genuinely proud to be an Australian and all of the other fun, cartoonish, inexplicable stuff mm-hmm. on top of that just adds gravy to that. Mm, absolutely. Yeah, and you know what um, one person said about the uh, linguistics, which I, I drew from um, the book I was looking at. Um, it's we are what we speak, and we are how we speak. But in truth, there's not one Australian English mm. um, over 200 odd years. Um, the languages and, and the cultural meanings around it and that stem from it um, have evolved and changed. And there's multiple Australian dialects that uh, to do with um, you know Chinese, Australian English, um, Greek, Australian English. Um, and of course, Aboriginal English, um, and so we're all we all are speaking still this like multiple tones within one language, and I, I think I, I can I hope that Australia can talk in that language in a way that's going to include everybody, everybody in that myth. And I think one way that you can actually do that, and I was going to bring this up, and I'm glad you did, is that if I throw out, no matter where I'm in, in the world, I can tell where the Aussies are in a room. If I call out. Aussie, Aussie, Aussie! The reply is quite simply, oi, 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 no matter where the fuck you are in the world. It is like it is like the where are the Aussies button. You just push it. I've done it at a show before because I thought I heard an Aussie accent calling out from the crowd and I threw it out and boom, a whole cluster of them in the corner in fucking Manchester. Like, you know, it, and that is the inclusive thing. That's the language we all speak and it's this just the crazy cartoon that we all pr- pretend to be when we're around other people. <laughs> And I love that. I think it's adorable. I love this country. I'm proud to be Australian. And uh, I only hope that we can get better at being the Australia we want to be going forward. Mm. Thanks for listening, guys. Yay. Come to Australia. (laughs) Wear a mask. We really appreciate it. (laughs) This has been really fun. Thanks for hanging out. If you guys want to find us on social media, you can reach us at the Music and Everything Podcast on Instagram and at TMIE Podcast on Twitter. In the meantime... It's goodbye from these three Australians, me and Sam and Sam. Bye. See you later. Yeah, bloody see you later, boys and girls. Take care of each other and we'll bloody talk to you soon.